Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On this episode, I am joined by Jared Lyle, the CEO of Hunt and Fool, to talk all things Western big game hunt planning. We talk about what Hunt and Fool is and how it can be a helpful tool to help plan your Western hunts, what the future holds for over-the-counter tags, and creating a short mid and long-term hunt strategy to be able to hunt out west every single year and then lastly we come across with some spring bear hunting some stories from jared that uh will get you pumped up and maybe think about chasing some bruins in the spring but before that as i said this podcast is brought to you by onyx and the onyx hunt app is your premier gps hunting app that turns your phone into a working gps I'm using the Onyx Hunt app in the field religiously right now while I'm scouting for mountain bucks in Pennsylvania. And in addition to that, which we'll talk about a little bit in in this episode here, but Onyx now has elite membership benefits. And one of those includes getting a free membership to Hunt and Fool, which Jared is, as I said, the CEO of there. But in addition to that, there's so many other different um, discounts you can get from backpacks to gear to uh, different uh, apps and and everything in between. All those come free with your elite membership. So if you want to check that out, head over to onxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW and that'll save you 20% off of the app. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. And I'm currently using the Phantom saddle system with with the Predator platform for all of my mobile hunts. And I mentioned it last week, but I did just receive the new knee pads that I've been messing around with and they'll be releasing soon extremely lightweight and they do have a ton of padding that I think will be great for all day sits. So to learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven Optics. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half of the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are backed with a lifetime, no-fault warranty, and has an incredible customer experience to go along with it. I'm currently using the B2 9x45s on all my Western hunts and the B3 8x30 for all my whitetail turkey hunts and anything over here in the east. So if you use the coupon code East Meets West Dash Gift, uh, excuse me, East Meets West Dash Gift, you get a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And last but not least, Spartan Forge. And when you require an accurate forecast of your best hunting days so that you're not burning out your best hunting spots and and you want to really save time on scouting and actually executing the hunts, the Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement. And that includes GPS data, over 30 years of weather data, academic and state research, and much more. And, And they're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. You can use the code East Meets West to save 25% off of the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. On this week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday over on social media, this story comes from Garrett Drum. And Garrett says, as a full-time college student at Penn State, I tried to squeeze in as many hunting and scouting missions as I could between classes and homework. I hunted public land right around the college without having many mature buck sightings. This is when I started to watch your mountain buck scouting series. I remember you talking about how to locate good pieces of public land using e-scouting on the Onyx Hunt app. You talked about looking for larger pieces of public and ones that are further away from large towns or cities, which led me to my spot. 
When I decided on the state game lands I wanted to hunt, the videos taught me to mark a few locations that have potential for buck bedding areas. On the morning of November 12th, I scouted out one of these waypoints that really caught my eye. I hiked back two miles and spotted two mature bucks and eight does in almost the exact area where I made the waypoint. On November 13th, I started hiking in at 5 a.m. I set up my mobile sticks and stand from the last location I saw the bucks bedded. At about 8 a.m., one of the two bucks, which was about 110-inch nine-point, came into range following by a mature 10-point. The 10-point walked directly from the bedding area to the oak flat that I was set up on. I stopped him at 15 yards and sent an arrow his way. We followed the blood trail, and he only went about 75 yards. It was a hunt that I will remember forever with some of my college buddies. Uh, that's such a cool story by Garrett, and and it was cool that he utilized the Mountain Buck Scouting series that I put out on YouTube uh, last spring, which we'll be adding to that this year. But not not only did he watch the videos, but what he did was he applied it and utilized what he saw to be able to go in and hunt it, and he actually put in the work and that's you know what it takes is consistent work and adapting you know he wasn't finding mature bucks in the area close to town started getting a little more remote and he ended up finding them and just killing a great 10 points so you can find photos of that on the east meets west instagram at east meets west hunt or on facebook east meets west outdoors all right so i have been scouting like crazy lately trying to take advantage of this time before the spring green up here and and just get out as much as i can learning my hunting areas that i've been hunting checking out new spots and just continuously trying to to scout these areas well i hadn't been finding too many sheds recently which i I don't typically focus on shed hunting but with the strategy of go with the way I'm scouting, you know, a lot of times I, I will pick them up, but, um, this recently I, I was scouting just a little bit further from where I normally am at, but just a couple ridges over and found some, I found a shed off a buck that I found on my camera and well, I've, he's been on my camera for a year, but I had last had him in on January 10th and he only had one side of his antlers on so i kind of just did some loops through that area and about 400 yards away uh, i ended up finding that side that he was still hanging on to at that point and then then ended up finding another shed that was just huge and i, I walked into it kind of by accident i went off the point of this ridge and i was cutting down as it was getting dark and it was like i bet the shed's been laying there for two or three years and it just glowed underneath the hemlocks and and just over five inch bases and carries that same mass the whole way up just a really really good deer and then went in there with my cousin tyler uh, a few days later and he ended up finding the other side of that big old one about a half mile away in an area that i've walked probably past it three or four times i mean it was it was it was tough to spot but i was within feet of it and and didn't see it. it was all covered up by leaves besides the tips of the tines and then i found a match set on an old logging road and then another old one and, and some more hemlocks i've been finding a lot of sheds in that hemlock that thermal cover that um i, I think from this tough winter they were definitely spending some time in there out of the weather so it was it's been really good been getting a lot of intel uh, here recently and, and just really having fun with it. Justin Mueller, uh, who did the mountain buck scouting series videos for me, as far as filming them and editing them, he, and, and the long haul film, all my films really Justin has done. He's coming out again this weekend to short some, shoot some more mountain buck scouting series videos. Got five more videos coming throughout the year. Um, and then some additional stuff that that we'll be releasing for the YouTube channel and um, getting ready for um, s- some other st- projects we're working on. So it's uh, I'm really excited about that. Pumped to see Justin again. I haven't seen him since he was out here in November. So that'll be that'll be fun. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I hope everyone else's spring scouting has been going well. Um, 
So to kind of transition uh, out of whitetails and into Western hunting for today's podcast. So before we get started here, I did just want to talk about my recent experience. So after I did, recorded this podcast with Jared, um, I called one of Hunt and Fool's hunt advisors, which you'll hear hear about the whole details behind it in the podcast. And his name is Garth Jensen. And, and he, I just wanted to run some ideas by him about... Colorado. Um, I'm applying for, oh, as we're talking about this, I'm applying tonight, uh, there. And so, so I was just running by a few units by him and see what some of his thoughts were. If he had talked to anybody that had experienced these places and he was a wealth of knowledge, being able to give me, you know, real time feedback from people and, you know, personal experience, all this stuff. It was super helpful. Um, I think that's, that's really valuable, um, for people that are hunting full members. And, and if you have that, the part of the subscription to have that one-on-one discussions about things, you can bounce ideas off of them and really just help, help reduce that learning curve and make sure you're choosing the right spot. So that was, I had a really, really great experience working with Garth there. So, uh, I'm glad that, uh, I got to talk to Jared and, and, uh, he helped link link us up, but that's really available to anybody. It's not just me because I did a podcast with them. It's that that's available to anyone um, that has that specific membership. So, anyways, uh, enough of me rambling here. Let's uh, get on the podcast here with Jared Lyle. You bet. All right, we're live. Jared Lyle, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, Bo. How are you doing over there? Yeah, not not too bad. Halfway across the country here. It's uh but it feels like I'm in the same room with you. But well <laughs> literally in this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, I appreciate you having me on. I it's always fun to talk about hunting and the opportunities that we have uh, to go out and explore our great country uh, with stick and string or muzzle loader or rifle or whatever your weapon of choice is. Yeah, and and it's funny because I've I've heard your name for quite a few years here, not only through the through the hunting industry with Hunt and Fool, but through some of my good buddies who are friends with you as well, Jameson Curtis and and Kelly McGraw, who I've had on the one of the earlier episodes of the podcast, and uh, they, they speak pretty highly of you. Well, I still have the wool pulled over their eyes. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah, they they're um. <laughs> they're 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 great guys it's it's i every once in a while usually once a spring or so go up there and do some scouting with them and hang out and kelly and i always geek out on the phone and talk about our western hunting plans and and everything else but i it's uh it's pretty good to get to talk to you here so what um yeah. um so jared do you want to just give a little background on yourself and uh who you are and what's what is hunting fool no i appreciate that um i got the way i look at it i was really fortunate to um be introduced into the hunting industry through a friend that i went to literally grade school with um, dan evans of trophy taker archery products formerly now option archery or the is the brand that he manages and owns and designs all the product for but anyway dan um had kind of grown a business from grassroots and knew that I happened to have a background in business management. Um, I just finished a degree and he asked me if I would come out and manage his kind of fledgling archery company, uh, clear back in 2002. And I took him up on that offer, up, uprooted our family, moved from Idaho to Northwest Montana. And I spent 14 years there with Dan. Um, great years, uh, raised my kids in a small town you name it. Um, so I was very appreciative of that. And honestly, I credit that in large part to my opportunity here at Hunt and Fool today. Um, a, Dan introduced me to the Hunt and Fool, you know, uh, it's been around for 25 years and Dan probably has been a member for 22 of those 25 years. I'm guessing I, I haven't looked at his, I'll have to snoop on his record after this, but <laughs> you know, he said, Hey, this, you know, this is what I rely on to help me plan for Western big game hunts and tag applications, etc." Um, shortly thereafter, I became uh, a member as well and have been a, a believer in the services for two decades plus. And uh, yeah, then at some point in time, we were kind of getting ready to 
to sell trophy taker archery products. And I had an opportunity at Hunt and Fool that I pounced on. And I've been the, I guess the, I, my, what I love the most is my hunt advisor title, but the other real hunt advisors would say that I don't do any hunt advising. I mostly just sit in my office. And, and unfortunately there's probably quite a bit of truth to that. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm the CEO there and have been for about four years and also a hunt advisor, which basically is code for getting to help people plan hunts, execute hunts, plan application strategies. Um, and that's what hunt and fool is all about. Like, when we distill down what it is that we do, I always say that we're just, we, we exist to help people go on more hunts with better information. And that, that information can be gear. It could be um, what unit should you be applying for? What state should you, or should you not be applying for all that kind of stuff. So we just get to help people do the most fun part of their life, honestly. And I really, I, I don't know. I just really feel that, like that's a huge privilege. Yeah, that's got that's got to be a really fulfilling job. I mean, and and it's kind of it's kind of similar from the standpoint that what what I try to do with the podcast is help set up people for success from usually from learning from my own failures and me trying to learn how to western hunt and try to give people the resources by talking to people like yourself and hopefully be able to help them, you know, make their dreams come true and and be able to do that and and especially recently I've been been diving into hunting full myself and now it's um well a, a free benefit if you have the Onyx hunt elite membership and being able to, you know, being able to dive into it. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you guys have so much on your website that it was, it was almost overwhelming at first. And, and then once I got to <laughs> dive diving into it, it's just super helpful. I'll, I'll tell you, like, I, I love magazines. I love being able to look at magazines and, and the, the e-magazine you have makes it, makes it easier to do now. I find I find myself not picking up print as much as as I have in the in the past and being able to to do that, uh, you know, on my phone or on the on the computer is really nice. Yeah, no, it, it can be, you know, it's one of those information overload kind of companies. I mean, we even feel that way ourselves at times. We get we get paid so to speak to do this and we still you know, we'll we'll have a discussion, a little round table discussion. Okay, what's Montana doing this year and half the time our heads are spinning. So it's no wonder that the people we're trying to help, you know, once in a while just go, what is going on here? But if it weren't for that, we probably wouldn't have the opportunity we have to be able to reach out to so many different members that have so many different needs. And I I don't know, like I said, we really, honestly, it combines two of my biggest passions. You've got, um, you know, helping other people out, but also hunting. So I can't argue about that. No, no, not at all. And and just as far as like how the the program works exactly. So what what do you get like a, uh, with a membership to Hunting Fool? What what exactly? So me as a consumer, what 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 are you providing to? And and I as we just talked about information overload. I'm I'm sure that's a long list, but is it just kind of getting the start to it there? Yeah. No. Uh, well, first of all, as you mentioned. We just did a partnership with Onyx that we're super excited about, and all elite members um, actually get a full digital Hunt and Fool membership included with their Onyx membership. So you do still have to go through the hoops of signing up through the Hunt and Fool website. There's some links straight off of Onyx's site to do that, but it's a really cool partnership because Onyx is, you know, honestly, I was a super early adopter. I know you're asking about Hunt and Fool, and here I'm going down an Onyx trail right out of the gate. But, you know, I was a really early adopter of Onyx's technology. Um, I think at one point in time, I'm like chip number four or something like that in Montana for from like a you know number issued because I was doing what they were doing manually on my own, and it was so t- painstaking and time consuming. And so I stumbled on their website very early in the process when you were still buying stuff out of uh, one of their local garages in Missoula, Montana, like literally you could go buy a GPS out of their like house, you know, their little car garage. Um, so, you know, it's something I believe in and hunt and fool tries to do the same thing. Like we want you to have the best information you can, because we do believe that that creates better outcomes. Even if you don't, even if the outcome doesn't mean you're killing, you know, harvesting an animal, um, a better outcome can just be, I'm in the right spot. I'm not, trespassing in the case of Onyx, or I got the right permit for what I wanted in the case of Hunt and Fool. So anyway, but 
the digital membership has a bunch of great resources. Like you mentioned the EMAG, which is like 1500 pages of content a year that Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. Our team compiles that where we break down 20 different states, draw processes and systems, unit evaluations, harvest statistics, um, overviews on what you can expect if you draw these permits, etc. Um, and then, you know, it also includes our draw odds, which we have a, a great contractor that we work with there that's a lot smarter than I am, that, uh, you know, they're math wizards and we buy complete data sets from the state. And again, here, I'm going to geek out and sound like I'm giving the too much information. No, I, I love it. Yeah, I keep geeking but, but, out. <laughs> but you, sound, you, know, you take a state like Nevada um, and they create so much complexity in their draw because, A, they look at five different choices when your lucky number comes up before they move to the next applicant. And then on top of that, they square your bonus points. So to understand your true draw odds in a state like Nevada, it takes genuine mathematical wizardry where you run thousands of simulations, you buy complete data sets. So you see everybody's points at every level and every choice. Um, And that draw odds tool is awesome because you can also put in your own point level. So it more accurately reflects who you are in the draw. Then we also have a 3D e-scouting platform that has all of the magazine data in it where you can put filters in. I want to kill, you know, a 300 inch bull and with my bow or whatever else, you can put all those things in and it'll show you in the map what we believe as, you know, uh, hunt advisors will provide you that kind of a hunt. And then it also has an awesome resource called the member draw where um, over the last 20 plus years, all of our members if you get lucky and draw a great tag, say in Arizona for elk or something like that, you can call in and say, hey, I drew this tag. Will you please send me the member draw list? Or we also call it the previous tag holder list. And when you get that, then you get access to other people who have hunted your unit before you in the last few years. And that list is super valuable because that boots on the ground experience is so great. I mean, you can ask them anything from, you know, where, did, where can I get fuel to where did you camp? How was the hunt, et cetera. So all of that's included with the digital membership. And then we also have uh, what we call one-on-one memberships where you can actually call. We've got nine hunt consultants. You can call in and ask pretty much any hunting question you want. Again, gear, um, should I should I hunt elk in Washington State? You name it, it no, no questions off limits. And that's unlimited with a one-on-one membership. And then we also have uh, a printed membership where you get the print copy of the magazine. And then finally, an all access where you just get it all. You're just that research junkie that has to have every single tool. So anyway, that's that's kind of a high level overview of, of what we do there. Yeah. And I, I didn't know about the <clears throat> the one you were just saying there about being able to look at the previous tag holder list. Like you, you said, that's extremely valuable. I mean, I take... I take people's real world experience um, almost over numbers a lot of the times, you know, as far as being able to, uh, I mean, you have to, 
you have to take uh, a few different opinions because sometimes some are <laughs> jaded a little bit um, from what I've learned, but it's, it, th- yeah, that's, that's super helpful. You know, whenever I get to talk to somebody that's haunted an area that I'm going to, I, I listen up intently as far as, and like you said, just the little things as far as, you know, where the meat processors could be and being able to talk to them through all those things when you get down to your nitty gritty planning uh, can also make for just a, a less stressful hunt too, you know, so you're not trying to figure out those things on the go if you didn't, if you didn't do your due diligence. And a lot of these like little towns and stuff don't have that information out there, you know, widely available. I, I remember hunting a place in Idaho a couple of years ago that online I couldn't find, um, you know, I couldn't find a meat processor. It wasn't, they weren't on Google and, you know, and then same thing with like, um, even a, a taxidermist as far as being able to say, if you got when I got, I shot my elk early in the trip and I needed to take it somewhere, but I found out the hard way, but through some locals talking to him, like, Oh, you can go down to this guy's garage down the road, just knock on the door. And, you know, but just having that, that knowledge from people that have done it can, can really help out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think 20 plus years ago, the number one thing we would all do if you were sort of being that adventuresome Western bound, uh, big game hunter, you'd call a wildlife biologist, right? I mean, that was like your number one resource, call the local biologist, which was very helpful. And I still encourage people to do that. But if you can actually talk to, they're busy and they're, you know, they work nine to five, you know, they're hard yeah. to get a hold of at the right hours. And so if you can talk to real boots on the ground experience, it's, it's an amazing resource. And I think right now we have over 25,000 records in that database. So, Wow. Pretty darn good chance we can connect you with someone else who has drawn and hunted the tag that you drew before you. Now, don't get me wrong. As you get into the easier to draw tags, those people get less and less likely to tell you all their secrets and rightfully so, right? That's how we are about hunting spots. Yep. But especially as it relates to stuff that you wait for a long time to draw, moose, sheep, goat, hard to draw deer and elk tags, they'll literally spill their guts because they're, they know they're never going to hunt it again. And they're excited for you that you have the tag. So huge resource for those long, long-term investment tags. Oh uh, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a really good point. And yeah, like, I, I mean, if I weren't, wasn't going to hunt an area again, I would, I would tell someone the rock I was sitting on glass and then saw, you know, anything that was in there, but, uh, and you're not going to get any over the counter information out of me. Your license plate parked at a trailhead. Yeah. Unless you're, unless I'm really close to you, I'm probably not going to share that information, but, <laughs> yeah. um, one, one of the other things I, I noticed that's helpful, especially for, for newer guys or girls that are, you know, from the East heading out West and everything is the draw cost calculator. Cause a lot of times, you know you can it, 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 it's misleading let's put it that way when you think and then you're trying to figure out what you're getting back and everything as far as how much up front you have to pay and I, I thought that that tool specifically was really helpful as well yeah and the nice part about that tool honestly is that it's free you know um, we've invested quite a bit in free resources. I mean, not to try to shout out our own podcast shamelessly here on yours, but no, go ahead. You know, we, have the, we have the Built to Hunt podcast that's free. We have a Hunt and Fool app that's on Google Play and the iPhone store that's free on iOS. It's an amazing resource. We'll manage your calendar for you in that case. Like you're never going to miss a deadline. Um, you know, we don't spam you on it. It's just a great free resource. And then to your point, the draw cost calculator, we elected to make that free and forward facing because we do feel like people need to know what they're getting into from an application cost point of view. And so, yeah, you can hop on our, our website, check that out and um, put in, you know, we do steal a little bit of your data, right? We're going to get your email address and your first and last name. If you want it, if you want your strategy emailed back to you, when yep. it's said that. But outside of that, we're basically saying, here's, you know, plug in your states. I will say this, since you mentioned it, it's important to fill out every single one of those little boxes. For example, resident versus non-resident, as you know, totally changes the price structure. Mm -hmm. Same thing is true if you check the youth box or if you check points only in Wyoming versus I'm actually going to apply, right? It changes the cost drastically. So the boxes are there for a reason and we force you to put some of that information in only because we know that if you don't do it, that you're not going to get the right data from our tools. So 
yeah, it's a it's a fun tool to play on, and it also opens your eyes to what it costs to apply out west. Yeah, that's uh, as I start every year, start applying to more places and trying to build points, and I, I choke a little bit on the the cost of those things. Is it, you know you, you get a lot of it back, but um, at, the, at the same time, a lot of those states like to hold on to your money for for a while too. <laughs> that's right. Yep, exactly. I'm getting ready to apply for Montana. I was a resident there for 16 years. And so it hurts really bad when I turn loose of $1,100 for a deer and elk combo now when it used to be like 45 bucks when I was a resident. So, yeah. Well, and, and, and so on, on that note, you're talking about Montana. Well, I just helped my, my dad apply for it last night. My brother lives out there now and he's a resident and my dad's going to go hunt deer. And I was, it, it's, it's a confusing system. I feel like now because I screwed it up that I've learned uh, more about it, but you know, as I felt like as a person that's trying to help other people, I should know quite a bit about these states. But on my own personal hunt strategy, I screwed it up and I was planning on hunting elk in a in a draw area this year in Montana and I had enough bonus points, but I didn't I realized I didn't have the preference points I needed just to draw the general tag. And and could I draw it? Possibly. There's there's a good chance I could. But at the same time, um, I, I looked at it from the standpoint of what was going on with Idaho this year and everything else. And I'm like, me going in with one point, I don't like relying on that. So me personally, I'm I'm jumping over to Colorado to hunt high country mule deer this year. I'm gonna burn some points there and nice. hunt a hunt a nice archery hunt. So look Oh, that's up. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, Montana is a very complex state. It it shouldn't be, but it is. And um I mean I just did one of the things too, another free resource that we try to do a lot is on our YouTube channel. And we did, we're doing a series now called Mastering the Draw, like license application strategies. And I just did one on Montana. And we try to keep these like 10 minutes long, right, at the max. It was 35 minutes long. <laughs> and I, I just could not make it any shorter because it's like, okay, if this, then that. And if that, then that. And it's just, you know, it's kind of crazy. But, um, yeah, Montana has complicated the system unnecessarily. Um, to your point, it's a preference point for the big game combos and it's a bonus point for the species and it all happens at once, even though you don't know it. And so, you know, I always tell people, you know, if we could just touch on it real quick, if you want to hunt Montana, think two years out, um, granted to your point, you can draw it with zero points. You can draw it with one point, but if you have two preference points, pretty much guaranteed a tag in Montana. And so if you can think a couple of years ahead, you can, uh, guarantee yourself a, a tag and make a plan. Yeah, no, de- definitely. I mean, I think that's a, a good point. And I feel like it's kind of getting that way with most of the states. I mean, you, it's not any, it's not as often, even just a few years ago, felt like you had more options of just, you could, you could make your decision later on. If you didn't draw something, just pick up an over the counter tag and it's, it's getting more difficult. I mean, in 2019, when I hunted Idaho, I bought my tag in July and this year, the zone that I hunted was, I guess, sold out within like an hour on on December first. You know, so yeah, of the year prior the to year the actual prior. hunting year, yeah, yes. yeah, it's a disaster. It is like so. What's what's going on with all of these states and these changes that seem to be coming at us super hard? <laughs> well, again, I don't know what where you want me to go with this but i'll uh, at a very high level one of the biggest problems that we face is that there the legis the state legislatures in my opinion in the and honestly in the opinion of hunt and fool as a whole have too much opportunity to mess around with um state game and fish regulations we believe that it should be left to the professionals we believe that it should be left to state wildlife biologists state agencies that are paid they're vetted to understand the big game, uh, not only the budget, but also the big game needs of the state. And instead we have, you know, in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Utah alone this year, and there's more, and New Mexico, five major states had legislation that was introduced by legislators who do not have wildlife experience. They're not biologists, they're not, they're not vetted, they're just legislators who can for lack of a better term, willy-nilly introduce legislation that unfortunately becomes binding on the state game and fish, fish commissions if it passes, right? 
So, you know, and that's a major problem that I hope gets addressed. Some states do a better job of giving more power to the Game and Fish Commission than others. But at the end of the day, that was a big part of the problem this year. And in Idaho, basically what it came down to is residents were very unhappy that there's a lot of non-resident pressure in certain zones. And, and, the, and they weren't totally wrong, right? I mean, zones like the Pioneer Zone, the Limhigh Zone, some others for, the, for basically general season archery elk in Idaho – had more non-residents participating in those units than residents in some cases. Um, and so, yeah, you're going to have some frustration. We believe there's other ways to address that, you know, maybe split seasons, maybe shorten non-resident seasons, et cetera. But instead, Idaho said, all right, well, any, any unit that has more than 15% non-resident participation, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually jump back one step here and mention that Idaho is a mandatory harvest reporting state. And what that means is that everybody who has a tag in Idaho is forced to tell Idaho how they did, right, at the end of the year, which I think is a good thing. Not enough states do this. There's a ton of Western states that do not require it. But what that means is, is that they do have pretty solid data on where, you know, you hunted, where I hunted, where any non-resident hunted and residents alike. So anyway, they basically said anybody that's, you know, more than 15% can only be a max of 10%. Oh, no, I'm sorry, a max of 15% in those cases. So they were cutting hundreds of tags out of key areas. In all, it resulted in 600 net non-resident elk, elk tags lost in the state of Idaho, which is always kind of a shame to me to see, you know, opportunities dwindle away. But anyway, lo- bottom line is, is those decisions were made by resident pressures. And I think there were a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction that created a a horrible mess on December one when everybody went online to buy their tags. Yeah, I was I was just with uh, a bunch of elk hunters over this past weekend, and they were talking about when they were in line. You know, they got in right when it opened up to buy it, and all of a sudden they're like six thousand in line. Then their computer crashed when they had the tag or the website crashed when their tag was in the cart, credit card information in, trying to hit submit. And some of them didn't even get tags, even though like they had to, they were able to add them to the cart and everything. Like it was just a, it was a complete shit show for lack of better terms. Your words, not mine, but I cannot agree more. (laughs) And it was also unfair, you know, again, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but it was unfair to party hunters, right? So your podcast is all about bringing people to new opportunities, right? Adventure bound people to new opportunities and the reality is the party application system is one of the oldest systems in all non-resident applications in all states. And the reason why is because if you're traveling from Pennsylvania to Idaho, it, you want to go with your son. You want to go with your daughter. You want to go with your hunting buddy. That's the whole, you're going to split gas. You're going to split wheel time. And what Idaho did is they literally ripped that out from underneath of all party opportunities by by creating a random draw in a virtual waiting room on their website at 10 a.m. on December 1 of the year prior. It was it was very inconsiderate of the constituents that provide the majority of revenue to the state of Idaho's wildlife. Yeah, no, that's and, and yeah, and I I, uh, <clears throat> I I figured that you that you would be. Um... I guess have have a strong opinion on the on the topic as well, and and that was it, it's it is unfortunate and how how that's happening. And there's a bunch we could probably go through a whole entire podcast talking about all of the other ones that are going on. But I guess now as as non residents, which all of us are non residents in 49 other states, so like we have to be able to uh, adapt to it and just really plan better uh when it comes to these types of things and if you you know i i still don't know how to figure out idaho as far as with that randomness is even if you plan it but uh you know with with being able to have backup plans and building some points in other areas and trying to figure that out with with hunt and fool and say if say if i were to have a membership where i had a one-on-one with um would would one of your hunt advisors help out with like planning for years ahead and everything like that with you? Would they help you work through that process? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, with it, when it comes to consultation, we get short-term, mid-term and long-term strategy calls all the time. And, you know, short-term might be like, Hey, I want to go elk hunting this year, no matter what, 
you know, and so what are my options? Should I try, you know, and, and in that case, we'd probably say, all right, Idaho's your first whack at a non-resident tag. It goes on sale December 1 of the year prior to the year you want to hunt. So try to get an Idaho tag. Oh, didn't get an Idaho tag. Well, you can still apply in Montana and try to get a Montana tag. And then all else fails, you can get back on the wait list for Idaho and Montana. Both of them have turnback tag programs. So you can keep playing that game. And then finally, at the end of the year, you can still buy an over-the-counter tag in Colorado, for example, right? So we can help you with that short-term plan. And then midterm, you know, we're going to have conversations that go a lot like this where, you know, we'll get guys that get invested in Colorado's elk and deer preference point system and they get too heavily invested. The, the reality is whether you're, regardless of your weapon choice in Colorado, if you get more than about six deer or elk points built, you're wasting your time and money from that point forward because all of the top units take, you know, 16 to 29 points to draw. And those are years. And the, and it's a true preference point system, which means if you don't have enough points, you don't even have a chance. You They throw you out, right? A bonus point, you still have a chance. A preference point, if you don't have enough points, you just don't, you don't count. And so midterm, we're going to be talking things like don't build more than four points in Colorado or six points in Colorado for the expectations you have. Cause that's a lot of the question too, right? It's all right, Bo, what do you want from your archery elk hunt? Do you have to have a 350 bull? If so, I hope you have a good big budget and a lot of patience yeah. and a lot of luck. Right. But if you're happy with, you know, filling the freezer or whatever else, we're going to have that conversation first and foremost, what is it that you want to get out of your hunt? What's your expectation for that? And then long-term, you know, we do have States that you look at and you just say, Hey, you know, it's sort of like a donation to conservation. Um, that's how we look at it. So we don't feel as bad about, you know, that 200 plus dollars of non-refundable money that some of those states are taking every year. And you're just in it for the long haul and hoping that eventually you draw one of those really good tags. So yeah, we have those talks all the time, literally thousands of calls a year. Yeah. I, I had figured that cause it, it's, it is, it's difficult to, I mean, even with my own strategy, as much as I look at it, I'm always going back and forth. And, you know, like you were saying for Colorado's, there was a, there was a unit I wanted to been wanting to draw and it, it was, it was seemed attainable at the beginning. And now as I'm building points, it just keeps going a year ahead and a year ahead. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm only two points behind what I need to be at, but I, I feel like I'm not catching up to it because I would have been able to draw it a few years ago and it just keeps, it keeps growing essentially. And that's, uh, that's scary. So, no, that's a super important point. I mean, you know, obviously the term for that is point creep. It gets thrown around a lot, but it doesn't necessarily get dissected very good. And the way we look at point creep at hunt and fool when we're advising clients is there's three types, right? There's, all point point creep is real, no matter what, pretty much like it's going to happen no matter what. So it's, it's not like you can say there's no point creep when there's a point system, there's always going to be, but there's, you know, less than one point creep creep, which means that you're actually getting ahead of it over time. You're eventually going to be able to acquire the tag that's ahead of you today. There's basically one-to-one -one point creep, which means every single year that point goes up. It takes you one more point to draw out next year, et cetera. You're not making any ground, but you're not losing ground. And then there's actually reverse, like upside down point creep, where you might see a unit jump two, three points in a single year away from you further. And, you know, you'll see that, especially in states like Arizona, where moisture becomes a really super important component to demand for tags. So, you know, word on the street is there's a great moisture year. All of a sudden, all these 20 plus point holders dive into a unit that last year took 16 points. Now all of a sudden it takes 20. Yeah. And so you have to you have to understand when you go in to look at that objectively and ask yourself the question, you know, is it worth it? Is it worth staying in the long haul or should I get out? Yeah. Yeah. I know for, I know for me personally, I, I'd like hunting too much to want to wait around for, you know, I've been able, like, it hasn't hurt me. Like in Colorado, I've been able to find tags in different places and be able to do it. But I'm at a point where I'm like, I, I may end up if, if this kind of continues just burning it on, you know, a lesser point unit mm -hmm. to be able to, to hunt, you know, instead of just chasing something that chasing my tail, maybe never being able to actually hunt that place. So it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting thing. And I, like you said, every state's so different and 
I mean, I, I guess that uh, it really helps keep you guys in business um, from the standpoint of people really <laughs> need to, to, to research this stuff and be up to date with it and, and everything. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely can be frustrating at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, if I was going to be really fair about it, I would rather the states simplify this to a point where we didn't have to be in business in that regard anyway, right? Yeah. We'll always provide a value somewhere, and I'm not worried about that, but that particular value is sort of unnecessary if the states would just sort of kind of get out of their own way at times, but they, they really struggle with looking at their competitors. They kind of consider themselves... And again, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here with a saw. I hope I'm not, you know, cutting my nose off to spite my face with, because we work with these state agencies a lot yeah. for information, et cetera, right? But, you know, they they look at themselves kind of as monopolies. Like, I'm Idaho. I have Idaho's elk. I don't need to look at Montana or Colorado or anybody else. Like, I'm going to do it Idaho's way. And the reality is, if they looked around a little bit, they could take the best practices out of each state and really create something that was transparent and was fair and equitable for residents and non-residents alike. They tend not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's interesting. So I'm, I'm curious as far as your own, um, your own strategy, like at this point in your hunting career, what, what are you, what are some of your goals or priorities when it comes to applying for tags and trying to get certain hunts? Well, I mean, we love, elk meat, right? So I'm going to try to have uh, an elk tag, regardless of how, you know, what the trophy potential is in my pocket every single year. Um, and then I also love archery elk hunting is my number one passion. And so I, I was lucky again, I started 20 years ago on this application strategy side of things. And so I have, you know, I think I have 22 points in Arizona is the most that I have for any one species. You know, and, and so there's some luxury to that in that almost every year I can write my own check and, and go on a new hunt that's a really tough to tough to draw hunt, um, which makes me feel even more empathic to people who are starting at zero today, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I think that puts us in a good position at Hunt and Fool to, to sort of be like, yeah, it's great, but it's a one-off. Like my kids are 19 and 23 respect, or I'm sorry, 21 and 23 respectively, and they have, they, they're starting at ground zero. They, you know, so I want them to have opportunities. But anyway, back to your question. I, I love archery elk hunting. I always have an archery elk tag in my pocket. I've become a little bit more interested in the experience than, than inches of antler. And I'm not talking specifically about elk here as much as I am about, I try to get to Alaska every year. Um, and there's hunts up there that you can do relatively economically. I can't afford to go on a dull sheep hunt. I can't afford to go on, you know, uh, brown bear hunts and things like that. But I can typically, you know, you can try to do caribou or, or Sitka blacktail, uh, Kodiak, something like that. Um, this year I'm going, I'm joining somebody who has one of our hunt advisors who drew a mountain goat tag. I'm going along and I'm going to try, I'm going to try to harvest a black bear with my bow on the hunt and basically just go get to do a mountain goat hunt and be in Alaska, right. As a, as an observer. Um, so the experiences are getting more and more important to me. I, I like to go to Alaska. I went coos deer hunting for the first time this last, this winter here in, in January. That was an amazing experience down in Southern Arizona in January. Um, I want to, I want to go on a Roosevelt elk hunt. I never have been that kind of thing. I think that's more where I'm at today. I've been fortunate. I've, I've harvested a lot of great bull elk with my bow. Um, and I, a lot of animals, a lot of different States. And now I'm kind of looking for new experiences. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. And I, I can understand, uh, the Alaska bug. I mean, I, I hunted there last year for the first time and it's just like, that's, I, I want to be there as much <laughs> as possible. You know, I'm already planning my, my next trip and, and everything else. Like, it's just, it's incredible. And, and so what about for this year, 2021, I know you, all the, the draws aren't, you know, back yet. You're not sure exactly what you have, but do you have anything that, that you think you're going to draw or maybe you already have some tags in your pocket? Well, yeah, again, I'll, I'll do that bear hunt in, in Alaska. Um, and that's in early September. And then I'm applying in Montana for elk. Um, I only have one point as well, Bo. So I'm in the same boat as you. I yeah. one preference point, right. Yep. For the big game combo. So I may or may not get that. I probably have around 
50, 60% draw odds to get that. Um, I think to your point, demand's going to go up for it a little bit this year. So my odds may not be as good as they once were, but anyway, if I get the elk tag, my son teaches high school in Bozeman, Montana. Um, I love bow hunting with my kids when I can. So I'll sneak in some time with him. I did. I was smart enough to buy a lifetime Idaho hunting license before I left the state of Idaho. So that weird quota that we're talking about that, you know, that everybody else is subject to on December one, I get lucky and I, I can buy an over the counter elk tag in any non capped zone clear up till the season. So I can always fall back on Idaho. I've never hunted Colorado, believe it or not. Um, I'm dying to hunt Colorado one day. I don't know. I don't, I don't really have, you know, I've got a lot of points for big species too, moose, sheep and goat, that kind of thing. Um, so I'm always hoping for one of those tags, but never draw one. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything really solid other than the Alaska hunt. And then I will for sure hunt at least one elk tag this fall. Okay. Yeah. That that's, that's awesome with the, the Idaho tag there. And, and obviously you didn't see this coming as far as with Idaho or maybe, maybe you did, but it's, uh, it, no. <laughs> so it, uh, that, that definitely has benefited you from that standpoint. Yeah. And again, that's the hard part is that when you get those lucky benefits, you also recognize that like you, you probably can't go live in Idaho for a year and get your lifetime certification. You know what I mean? So it might be worth it, but (laughs) I would consider it. I I would recommend it. Um, you know, it's great, but I think, man, as hunters, Bo, we've got to get less selfish. Um, you know, and and believe me, I've I've been as selfish as anybody at times in my hunting career, if you want to call it that, where, you know, you, you want it to be all about you and you want to have the best hunts and the best opportunities, but man, our, our world is, you know, our globe is shrinking. Opportunities are getting more scarce. I think to the extent that we can recognize that, you know, yes, I'm lucky enough to live in Idaho, for example, I hear this all the time from, you know, I live in Utah now, I've lived in Montana, I lived in Alaska, I lived in Idaho, I've lived in some of the best states, right? Um, And every time as residents, we're kind of like, you know, anti non-resident. And I'm like, man, we're, let's, let's figure out a way to play nice in the sandbox together, because we need hunters to be united now more than ever, we're going to be under attack in the next, you know, decade and more, uh, more than we've ever been. You know, we see anti-trapping bills, anti-predator hunting bills, anti, you know, hound hunting bills, you name it, just constantly being introduced because what we do isn't always that popular. And so I'd love to see us get a little more united. I sound like I'm politicking now, so I apologize. No, 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 no. I, th- I think that's, that's, that's very true. And I mean, even, even being in Pennsylvania, like growing up, I remember, you know, at, at our hunting camp hearing everybody like, ah, oh, the, it wasn't even out of staters. It was the people from Pittsburgh coming up here to, you know, to hunt yes. this people from Ohio would be out of state, you know, they're why they, they uh, why can't they stay in their areas? There's deer there. Well, you know, that type yep. of thing. And, and in a different County. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I recognize it now, you know, more than as I, now that I'm a non-resident in a lot of places and how important that is to me. And I, you know, it, it, it definitely is important to, to play nice from, from that standpoint, you know, and just, everyone you know well most people have the the same goals or as you and i and just gotta kind of you know uh, i guess understand that and and live with that from that standpoint yeah everybody desires to you know make memories in the woods with family friends you name it and the woods is a really big place still you know i mean a lot of these states that that we do get some of this narrow-mindedness from we have hundreds of millions of acres of public land that you know, it, it, there's a, it's a great resource. And I'd love to, again, that is one of the things that we try to do at Hunt and Fool is try to help people uh, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all goals, you know, from, Hey, I just want to kill an antlerless elk. You know, I want to fill my freezer to, I really want to try to find a 350 bull that both of those are fine. Us, We'll help you do either one. Um, One's easier than the other. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> that, that 350 bull is getting harder and harder to turn up uh, units that have those, but uh, but we'll help you do that. Either one of those, you know. Yeah, definitely. And but there is there is some some other hunting, like say as far as if you're you're struggling getting a, a fault uh, tag that you that you can't get or anything. I mean, spring bear hunting, which I have never done, but as we're I, I I thought about this, you know 
in the, in the last week or so that that's coming up and that's something that I've always wanted to do. I just haven't been able to find the time or I guess not find the time, dedicate the time to, to do it. Um, do you do much spring bear hunting? I used to do a ton of it. Honestly, it's probably my number two favorite animal to hunt spot and stock with a bow is a bear. Um, they're just a really unique animal. They, the time of year also meant a lot to me. Again, you get spring fever and you're just so ready to get out when the snow's melting and the birds are singing, things are greening up. And so, yeah, I was able in Montana, Northwest Montana, where I lived for a long time before I came down here to hunt and fool, um, has a lot of good bear density, you know, great huckleberry crop, good food, good conditions for them. And so, yeah, I kind of got nuts over it, honestly, where I was spending a ton of time um, and then finally got it dialed in a little bit and harvested a bunch of them with my bow and then started just taking friends, you know, like, come on up. I, I've got enough bear hides <laughs> for any one person. So come on up, let's do this together. And, and my kids both shot bears early on in their lives. My wife has, has done spot and stock bear hunting with me a ton. Um, it's a great opportunity to get away at the right time of year. Um, it's still over the counter in the, the majority of the state of Montana, almost the entire thing. Uh, there's some quota stuff, uh, but even that, like literally you can just buy a bear tag and go. Idaho still has two bet two bear tag areas or reduced bear tags, what they call them. I believed, you know, not quote me on this, but I think the tags are $41 and 75 cents each. So we're talking like 42 bucks a piece. Then you've got, you know, the better part of $200 and a hunting license on top of that, but come out and chase two bears around. And, and they basically did that in the areas that were really mo- mostly back country, um, where they had low um, fawn and calf recruitment for deer and elk. And so they were trying to reduce uh, predator pressure. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's tons of opportunity um, and the price isn't that bad. And the other thing, you know, I tell people a lot, if you're thinking about hunting, say the panhandle of Idaho, for example, for elk, um, come out in the spring the year before or the year of and do a bear hunt and learn the area a little bit, figure out where you want to camp, you know, get some scouting experience under your belt that isn't just scouting, but you're actually having a fun hunt. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's, that's one of the things exactly what you said there is I I wanted to do that in Montana is be able to go out and spring bear hunt and and do it in an area that I would like to hunt elk at some point. It's just so you kind of get, like you said, get to learn the area a little bit and get a feel for it and, you know, see if it really looks like what it does on Onyx and, and everything else to, to, you know, right. see exactly what, what that's all about. And it just, like you said, it's, it's a spring fever thing. Like for, for me, just wanting to get outside and go do it, you know, doing that stuff. That's why I love Turkey season here in, in Pennsylvania. Not that like, I go back and forth some years. I'm really excited about it. Other years I'm not as much as far as uh, chasing turkeys, but at the same time, I just love being outside at that time of year. And uh, it's a nice, nice in the, in the middle of when there's not as much going on. Yep. Whether it's shed hunting, turkey hunting, spring bear, that opportunity to kind of blow off the cobwebs off of the boots and just get out and just appreciate being alive again and watching nature wake up. I love it. Uh, Like I said, it got to the point where it became probably number two right next to archery elk was chasing those things around with my bow on the ground. Um, They're just a fun animal to hunt. Yeah. uh, Yeah, most definitely. Do you, um, what, what was the reason that you decided not to, not to hunt them as much anymore? Well, some of it was, like I said, I just started hosting more people because it was fun to watch other people get their first experience. Uh-huh. So that was honestly the number one reason why I haven't hunted them as much. Last couple of years, I've just been busy with other commitments um, and haven't been able to get back up to Montana. But I think I'm going to, in 2022, spring of 2022, I'll get back up there again. Um, I can't, I can't stand not doing it again here pretty soon. Yeah. So, uh, but mostly the reason I wasn't harvesting as many bears myself is I just really enjoyed taking other people on their first experiences. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's cool. And being able to introduce you know, others to it and then hopefully they kind of pass on the torch eventually once they kind of get it under their yeah. belt and are able to, to show people around, you know, do you, do you do any, uh, Western whitetail hunting at all? I do. I'm terrible at it. 
Um, <laughs> if I can be honest, the, the main reason I'm terrible at it, the moment my butt hits a tree stand, I immediately think I'm in the wrong spot. You know, I grew up <laughs> chasing elk and deer all over the mountains. And, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, and this is kind of a shout out to, you know, the Eastern crowd or the Midwestern crowd. A lot of Eastern and Midwestern hunters come out and they're very successful elk hunters because they have a great deal of patience that most of us Western hunters do not inherit or nor are we taught. Um, having said that, I love hunting whitetails. I love sitting after year, you know, years and months of running around. There's something really relaxing and like, I don't know, soul. Um, I guess I get introspective in my own soul in a tree stand. So I love that. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty poor at it. Cause I don't think I'm patient enough. Yeah, no, that's, <coughs> that makes sense. I mean, the same thing with how whitetail hunters struggle sometimes when they go elk hunting, because they think they got to worry about not stepping on a stick or doing something, you know, and moving real slowly at times when they don't need to be. And I know that was, uh, one of the things that, that was, and still sometimes hard for me to, to learn from and, and, you know, kind of get out of mind. Cause that's just, what I'm used to. I do really want to hunt, uh, Idaho for, for whitetails up uh, in the panhandle. That's one of the things that, that, that I want to do at, at some point here in the next five years. Yeah, no, it's a great opportunity. And there's still, those tags are still pretty easy to get your hands on knock on wood. Um, it, I did hunt panhandle whitetails a few times when I lived up in Northwest Montana, cause it was just right across the border. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, there's such a cool animal to hunt that time of year. Um, that terrain is unlike almost any other place I've ever hunted whitetails anyway. And so it's a cool experience. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was wondering when I asked you that, because sometimes I asked, I talked to, to some buddies that I know that live out West and stuff They're like, what? I don't think about whitetails like, you know, like, <laughs> there's mule deer and they're, they're bigger and, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, well, I think about hunting all species. Like yeah. you said, I love, I like learning about the species too, you know, like uh, how much different a whitetail is than a mule deer. I enjoy that process. So yeah, I kind of got, when I moved to Northwest Montana, you know, we had mule deer and whitetail both to hunt, but I immediately, of course I'm, I'm one of those, you know, dumb guys that I've only bow hunted for like the last 18 years. So even during the gun season in Montana, which goes five weeks through the rut, I would bow hunt. And so it was easier to bow hunt out of a stand for whitetails than it was to run around with the gun hunters on the mountain chasing mule deer. So that was part of it too. Ah, that, that makes, that makes sense. I, I know, I know a few guys that hunt up in that Northwest Montana and then the Panhandle Idaho for whitetails. And they, they said that, the, yeah, they're, they're more alone than um, in other places because people have other interests, like you said, running around with, with a gun chasing mule deer, essentially, at that time yep, of year. Yep, exactly. But um, the, the one one thing I wanted, uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up with you here is, do you have any stories from a, a spring bear hunt? We kind of, I know I kind of took you off that a little bit, but to bring you back on spring bear hunting, any stories that stick in your mind from it? Like as far as something that maybe from the adventure standpoint, or maybe it was a specific bear that you killed or anything along those lines. Yeah. I'll just confess what a mental midget I can be at times in the woods um, that on a story that actually worked out good in the long run. Um, I had spotted a bear across the Canyon. Um, I was bow hunting again. It's an, to be clear, it's an, any weapon season for spring bear. So to your listeners, so you can hunt with a muzzleloader bow, uh, gun, whatever you want. Um, but I, again, I was bow hunting, spotted a bear, uh, dropped across, had to cross a big old nasty spring Creek, you know, that you think you're going to die in, but got across, got up. I was working my way through the heart, like old growth forest, working my way across to this meadow. I'd seen the bear in and all of a sudden I heard a twig snap and I look up and there's a black bear coming to me, like just on a string. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. So lucky, you know, and I was under a weird tree that some limbs hanging over me that were dead. And I didn't want my bow to tick those limbs when I drew. So as the bear was getting closer and closer, I had an arrow knocked, I had my release clipped on and then unintentionally, I was putting pressure on the back of my knot, kind of leaning out from under these branches. 
And the bear gets to about 18 yards, turns broadside and walks behind a tree. So I draw my bow and my arrow falls off the string and, you know, I'm shooting a full capture rest. And so it catches in the rest at a weird angle. Well, immediately the wheel started falling off the bus. I went into panic mode, which is the last thing anybody should ever do when you're bow hunting or hunting period. And so I let down really quick and reached forward and grabbed the arrow and re-knocked it. Jerk my bow back to full draw. Meanwhile, the, the spare is totally clueless at like 19 yards. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just making it a problem. The bear wasn't making it a problem. I was. I ripped back my bow. And by now I'm so panicked that I barely get my 20 yard pin almost like as soon as I saw black fur, I smash the trigger and shoot under the spare. And my arrow hits on the far side of the bear. And so it all happens so close that he ran toward me and ran around the grand fir tree that I was standing by right four yards around the other side of me. So I'm like cursing myself out. Like, how could you be so dumb? Grab another arrow. I'm trying to turn around and draw on this boat, this bear. And all of a sudden I hear another, I hear something coming at me on the other side again. I went back around and there's a bigger bear at a dead run right on the trail I'm at running right at me. I'm like, holy cow. So I yard the bow back and this thing stops at like 11 yards and kind of does the mushroom thing where they kind of puff up or whatever because he didn't it was dark in that old growth you know he couldn't really tell what i was and basically what it was it was two boars that were in a conflict and the bigger boar had chased the smaller one out i shot at it and missed he heard all the racket came charging in to you know reassess his dominance and i happen to be right in the middle of it yeah. so i shoot this bear at like 11 yards like lengthwise like through the whole body and anyway it was the biggest bear i've ever killed and it, I got it strictly by dumb luck by being a terrible shot on the first one. Oh, that's hilarious. That's a <laughs> hey, I'd rather I'd rather be lucky than good in that scenario any any time. <laughs> that's how I looked at it too. But uh, yeah, it can happen to all of us. Uh, I you know I tend to think I've got. Just when you think you have archery all figured out, you'll get humiliated and reminded that you're still just a pile of messy nerves when things go wrong. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. So do you have anything that you'd like to leave the listeners with here as we kind of end uh, the show here? No. Well, yeah, I guess the thing I would say is opportunities are getting more scarce and that's not a plug for our services at all. In fact, if if anything, it makes our services jeopardized, right? What it really is, is a plug to try to inspire you. If you're thinking about doing it, just go do it. The world's never been smaller. You have resources like Onyx, resources like Hunt and Fool, uh, all of these digital resources to pre-scout. You've got um, forums and all these different places that you can plug into. You have technology in your pocket we didn't have. Uh, where you can have, you know, global satellite texting. You're safer than you've ever been. Um, Backpacks and gear are lighter than they've ever been. They're more waterproof than they've ever been. Go. Like, that's what I would say to your listeners. If you're dreaming about it, it really isn't that expensive when you really break it all out. Um, You have resources out there that can help you make the most of it. If you're inspired to go, get off the couch and go. I love it. That's, that's perfect. And, uh, I, I can tell you one thing I'm, I'll be going out West every single year, as long as I, as long as my body will let me do it. So <laughs> good deal. Well, if I ever bump into you in a camp, I assure you that I'll greet you with friendliness and kindness. And I think that's what we all should do. with yeah. each other. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, so, but again, first of all, thanks for coming on and, and two, would you mind giving the uh, listeners where they can, I mean, you kind of did a little bit at the beginning, but just giving a recap on where they can find Hunt and Fool and any of that information if they're interested. Yeah, no, I appreciate that too. It's huntingfool.com and we're, we can't afford the G, so don't put hunting fool. It's hunting. Uh, <laughs> uh, huntingfool.com is probably the best place to get coordinated with all the resources that we have. And to your point, there's a lot of information in there. If you uh, get sort of overwhelmed, there's uh, phone numbers all over that. Give us a call. Um, You'll get to talk to somebody in the front office that can help you sort through it. And ultimately, if you decide to become a one-on-one member, you can talk to any one of us that basically makes a living trying to help people plan them and make the most of their hunts. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jared, for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Bo. Have an awesome spring and hopefully good luck in the draws. Yep, you too. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.